is the word of the Lord. Amen? Take out your Bibles. Bring your Bibles to church. Revelation chapter 1. We are in a series on the book of Revelation. (laughs) This is part 2. And I get to preach Jesus today. Woo! Hallelujah! I get to just tell you about Jesus. 14 truths about Jesus from the first eight verses. This is going to be so much fun. Let's stand together, and I will read out of the NIV. Somebody asked me after first service, are you going to use the NIV during the whole series? Yes, only because that's the Bible I took with me on my sabbatical, and I've got a lot of notes and circles and underlines. So it's not because I'm saying that I've abandoned the ESV. I'm just, it's just, it is what it is. So I will be using the NIV during this series, but we'll obviously bring in other translations when it's relevant. Um, Revelation 1, 1 to 8, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever, amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Hallelujah. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Holy Spirit, we yield and submit to your word. Anoint this time now that it would be supernatural in its proclamation and application. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So you are maybe seated, and any children that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed out that door right there. The Bible repeatedly emphasizes that following Jesus is not easy. That if you are a true, devoted, faithful spirit-filled follower of Jesus, there will be difficulty, there will be trials, there will be persecution, there will be hardship. Amen? And Paul wrote to Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Jesus said, if they've hated me, they will hate you. And on and on it goes. And John, the apostle who wrote Revelation, is exiled to the island of Patmos. That's where he is when he wrote this. So following Jesus is not easy. It's, it, it's hard. You, you, one of the things I love about the logo of the chosen, it shows that fish swimming in a, in a different direction. <laughs> if you're going with the culture, it's easy. If you're going counterculture, Holding to the truth of God's word amidst a culture that is going increasingly away from God, it's not easy. So here's my main point today. The best way to live a faithful, obedient 
life and be an overcomer, which is what he says to every one of the churches, to him who overcomes, the best way to be an overcomer and faithful in the midst of hardship is to know Jesus accurately and follow him fully. To know him accurately and follow him fully. So it is my joy, it is my privilege today to preach to you 14 truths about this Jesus from just the first eight verses, because we must know him accurately in order to follow him fully. Number one, Jesus is the focus of Revelation. First phrase. Basically, we're just going phrase by phrase. So you can literally have your Bible open, follow the phrase, go to the notes, fill in the blank, go back to your Bible, next phrase, fill in the blank. That's exactly, I love this. It's the old, uh, the old uh, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California, Chuck Smith, just preach right through books of the Bible. And go phrase by phrase. And so the first one, the revelation of Jesus Christ. More than the end times, this book is about Jesus. More than eschatology. More than Armageddon. More than 666. More than the tribulation and the antichrist and the beast and all that. We will get into that. But first and foremost, and it better be our focus as a church and as a people as we study this book. It's about a person. His name is Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let that be our focus. I don't know if any of you are old enough like me to remember the 1988 commercial for Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Taste them again for the first time. <laughs> and it's kind of like that with Jesus in this book. He's revealed from Genesis all the way to Jude, but now we're in Revelation. It's almost like God says, pull the curtain. I'm going to just show you a, another glimpse, another angle, another level of glory. Taste him again for the first time. And that's going to be our joy today as we do that. Oh, my friends, what a great Savior we have. What a great God we have. What a great Lord we have. What a great King we have. What a great healer we have. His name is Jesus. Number two, um, he's the author of Revelation. Jesus is the author. Now, this, this, just, just look at what it says. Which God gave him, Jesus, to show his servants what must soon take place. And then it says, gave it to an angel, which then went to John. So you have these levels of mediators, so to speak, or, or ones that are trans, transforming or, or transcribing or trans, they're just, they're giving the message. So God is giving this, well, who's to say? Which God gave him, Jesus, and then he gave it to John through an angel. So one could argue, which I'm doing here, is that Jesus is really the author of this book. Maybe that's why there's this great blessing promised in verse 3. If you read it, listen to it, and heed it. He's the author. He's what it's all about. He is it. Our mission statement. We're a word-rooted, spirit-empowered, culturally engaged church that seeks to bring salvation to the lost. How's that possible? Jesus. Healing to the hurting. How's that possible? Jesus. And the training of leaders to help reach the world far. Jesus Christ. The last two words in our mission statement are the most important words. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Number three, Jesus is the head of the church. Verse four says he's writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Reminder, we would not have churches, we would not have the church if it weren't for Jesus. Because if you turn to Revelation 5, 9, do that please. Revelation 5, 9. They sang a new song. You, 
Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Oh, beloved, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ purchased us. He purchased you with His blood. He's the head of the church. He's the Savior of the church. He's the Lord of the church. It's His blood that enables us to be born again, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, forgiven, and thus become a part of a relationship with Him individually and a part of the church corporately. There's a a singular element of salvation, me and Jesus, and there's a corporate plural element of salvation, me, Jesus, and you, (laughs) and you, and you, and you. We're, we're, a, we're the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head. By the way, these churches were located in what is modern Turkey. And on this map, you'll see that the order in which he gives the letters, and we will spend a week, each of these letters, we'll spend one week on this letter to this church, one week on this letter to this church. Uh, and, and, and remember your assignment. Your assignment is to go before the Lord, spend maybe 15, 30 minutes with the Lord. God, what would you say to Living Hope Church? And you send it to me. You email me what you believe the Holy Spirit would say to Living Hope Church. But the order in which he gives these is simply the order in which they would have been delivered. You can see the pathway, the the delivery, the mailman of the day (laughs) would have taken it to these seven. That's where they are in proximity to one another. Number four, Jesus is the second person of the Holy Trinity. Now, I want you to look in your Bibles carefully at verses 4 and 5. Because the Trinity is in verses 4 and 5. Not the word Trinity, but the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. To the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now watch, look closely. Grace and peace to you from Him, this is the Father, who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit, I'll explain that in a minute, before His throne... So now you have the Father and the Spirit. Where's the Son come? Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Isn't that awesome? You have God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son right there in in this section of Scripture. And so we have one God manifested in three persons. Listen closely. Each equal in deity, distinct in ministry and function. It was not the Holy Spirit who died on the cross. It was Jesus. You see? So each have a distinct ministry and function within the Godhead, yet they are one in three. And here we have it. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 11, turn to that. Because this seven spirits has confused people. Say, wait a minute, there's one spirit. Why does it say seven spirits? Well, sevenfold spirit would be a, maybe a more accurate translation. It's simply saying this. The Holy Spirit manifests or expresses Himself in seven different powerful ways. And that is prophesied in Isaiah 11, which is a prophecy about the Messiah and the Spirit. Look at that. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch, capital B in many Bibles, that's Jesus, will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord, one, will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom, two. Of understanding, three. The Spirit of counsel, four. 
of power, five. The spirit of knowledge, six. And of the fear of the Lord, seven. There's the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Number five. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God. Verse five. Who is the, not a, but the faithful witness. Oh, this is a powerful phrase. A witness is somebody who testifies about something. Maybe you have a a witness in court or somebody who reports something. They were a witness to the accident. Jesus came to show us God. (laughs) He came to report the nature and truth of God, and He was perfectly faithful in doing so because He's God in the flesh. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only Son. You see, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know how God loves, look to Jesus. If you want to know how Jesus, how God treats people, look to Jesus. If you want to know the power of God, look to Jesus' miracles. If you want to know the compassion of God, look to Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. If you want to know anything about God, look to Jesus. He's the perfect manifestation of God. You see, God looked over the world. And he saw humanity in a state of dire need. And he said, I'm going to go down, live among them, be one of them without sin to show them what I am like. Thus the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory, the one and only Son. Number six, Jesus is the living Savior. In verse five it says, the firstborn from the dead. Now, this phrase, firstborn from the dead, has a lot of angles to it. So I'll share with you different angles of this phrase, and specifically of this word prototokos in Greek, firstborn. It's not what the Jehovah Witnesses say. Come on. They say that Jesus was born from God, as if He didn't exist from eternity past. That's not what it means. The phrase is often used of a rank like the first place team. (laughs) He's superior. He's of the highest because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Firstborn from the dead doesn't mean he was the first to ever rise from the dead because people rose from the dead when he breathed his last on the cross. (laughs) and He raised Lazarus. He's the first to rise with his resurrected body. Come on. And it just points to His resurrection, firstborn from the dead. He's a living Savior. He came. He taught. He did miracles. He died. Third day later, He rose from the dead. He appeared to more than 500 people. His disciples, 11 of the 12, martyred for their faith in Him. Listen, you don't die for a known lie. You die for a truth, you die for a lie that you think is a truth, but if you're there to see it firsthand, they were there to see him die, they were there to see firsthand, had he not been raised from the dead, they would have taken his body, paraded it down the streets of Jerusalem, Christianity would have been die, had been dead in her cradle. But instead he rose. 
He appeared to more than 500, and his disciples knew it was a living reality, so much so they were willing to die a martyr's death. Some of us will need to die a martyr's death for our living Savior. It'd be a privilege to die for the one who died for me and rose again on the third day. Amen? He's a living Savior. He was, he is, and he is to come. He's alive, and he rules, and he reigns. And he wants to be alive in your life. Have you received him? Is he your living Savior? Is he your living Lord? Is he the power source in your life? Is he your purpose for living? Jesus is worthy to be living in and through our lives. Hallelujah be to God. Number seven, Jesus is the sovereign King of kings. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Wow. What a comforting phrase to these first century believers. Don't get so removed from the context that you forget this was written to seven churches. Okay? It's written to them, but for us. <laughs> In their context. These are first century believers, 95 AD, who we're living under the oppressive Roman Empire. Rome ruled that area I just showed you. Some of them were old enough to have already lived through Nero. Ooh, not a friendly guy to Christianity. Then Galba, then Otho, then Vitellius, then Vespasian, then Titus, then Domitian. Domitian was the Roman ruler at the time this was written, 95 AD. How encouraging, how comforting, how challenging to these first century believers at a time when Rome was not friendly toward Christ's followers. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, John, the angels, this book is encouraging these first century believers. Jesus is the sovereign king of kings. He's ruler of the kings of the earth. You think Rome is powerful? Oh, they're nothing compared to Jesus. You think Nero is powerful in burning Christians just for sport? Well, nothing compared to Jesus. Uh, America? U.S. Church? You think the president is somehow powerful maybe for four years? Then what? You think the Supreme Court? Is that intimidating to you? They're peons compared to Jesus you think communism, Nicaragua? You, you think communism is threatening? Maybe in, a, in the flesh, but, but, but not in the spirit because Jesus is ruler. He's the sovereign king of kings. Listen, I'm preaching to myself. When I watch the news, when I see what's happening in our culture, if I look here too much or the newspaper too much, or the TV too much, I get angry. I get discouraged. Now, there's a place for anger. The Bible says be angry, but sin not. The sin not part there is challenging to me. <laughs> not the anger part. That says <laughs> so when I'm looking here too much, then I just need to say, I need to look up. <laughs> Come on. I need to look up and see that Jesus is ruler of the kings of the earth. Hallelujah. And that those powers to be, those, 
those resolutions that might be issued, those edicts, those court cases, those elections, those whatever, (laughs) you fill in the blank, are nothing compared to our King who is sovereign. So you just need to, for a moment, put yourself in the context of the first century reader when they heard this Jesus is ruler of the kings of the earth. Domitian, wimp compared to Jesus. Power will be gone. Edifice he lives in will be, just remains one day at best. Will they even remember fill in the blank great person that maybe has a lot of influence today? It won't be long. They will be but a memory if even so. But Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who are on the earth, under the earth, and in heaven, every knee will bow. Your knee will bow. Your knee will bow. You you bow now and be part of His kingdom and spend eternity with Him. Refuse to bow now and you'll spend eternity separated from God, but your knee will bow. Make no mistake about it. Your knee will bow. He's a sovereign king of kings. Number eight, Jesus is the one who loves us. You know, it's just, I just love this about God's word. I love this about God. We've just talked in the last four minutes or so about his sovereignly being over all. And now, that's his steelness. <laughs> that's his mightness. That's his power. And then the next phrase, to him who loves us. Don't miss this. He's just been called the ruler of the kings of the earth. Steel. But also velvet. Personal. Compassionate. To love you right where you're at. He loves you with a personal love, you individually. He loves you with a sacrificial love, shed his blood on the cross. He loves you with an eternal love. He loves you with a transformational love to change you from the inside out. You say, but Pastor David, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the sins I've committed. You don't know the temptations I gave into this week. That doesn't matter in terms of his love. Now, I didn't give you permission for that. I'm not excusing sin. I'm just saying there's no condition on this phrase who loves you if you do perfect if you read your bible every day if you never blow it he loves you right where you're at despite all your sins and failures and it's that love that he wants to motivate you to live a holy life he doesn't want you seeking to live a holy life to earn his favor He wants you to live a holy life because you know that He does favor you and that He loves you and that He died for you and that He lives inside of you. There's a whole difference in those two equations. Are you striving to please God because you think you have to do that to earn His favor? Or do you know who you are in Christ? Know what you have in Jesus. Know that He loves you. Therefore, you want to obey. World of difference. And I pray today that all of us would know His love so deeply and so real that it would motivate us to want to seek His face, serve Him faithfully, repent quickly when we fall, 
and live a holy, obedient, Christ-honoring life. He loves you. And the greatest way that He demonstrated that love is what He did on the cross, which is why the next phrase, I love this, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. Number nine, Jesus is a sacrificial lamb. And this is our theme verses for communion today. Let this be what permeates our communion today. Who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. This is going to be the theme verse of our Good Friday service this year. Who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. Folks, this is a phrase you need to memorize and meditate on. This is one when you're reading God's Word, you land and linger. (laughs) You say, i got to stop right there. i got to just meditate on this. Get quiet. Let the Lord give you pictures. Let Him give you divine revelation. Let Him give you the hidden manna as you chew on this, as you're like the cow chewing the cud. Chew it. Spit it up. Chew it again. Spit it up. Get different nutrients each time. Who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. Who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. Would somebody write a song about that, please? And so, when you think of this word, freed us, phrase, why do we need to be free? What do we even need to be freed from? Picture you're in a prison cell. You are imprisoned. You need to be freed. But there's no way out of that prison from the inside. No amount of works, no amount of religion, no amount of do good can get you out of that prison. You are needing to be freed. Listen, someone from the outside needs to come and free you. In the Old Testament, it could only happen by the shedding of blood. The Israelites are enslaved and imprisoned to the Egyptians. God's bringing judgment on the Egyptians for their ungodliness and paganness. Just as in Revelation, He's going to bring judgment on Babylon and on all the ungodly. But He has a people. And those people, He says, if you will take a lamb and you shed its blood and you put it over your doorpost, When the angel of death and judgment comes to the Egyptians, I will see the blood of the Lamb on your doorpost, and I will pass over you. Thus, Passover. (laughs) The angel of death and judgment will pass over because the blood of the Lamb has been applied to your door. And when Jesus came, the book of Corinthians says, Jesus is our Passover Lamb. And if we have the blood applied to the doorpost of our hearts by faith, we don't come under judgment and condemnation. We are seen as righteous and holy because of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus. Thus He came from the outside, shed His blood to free us from the prison of sin and the flesh and Satan, and condemnation, and hell, and God passes over, applies the blood to our heart, thus we are freed from our sins by His blood. That's good news, folks. That is really, really good news. He loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood.
So once you receive that, once you receive Christ, you repent of your sins, you put your faith and trust in Christ, you, you invite Christ to come in and be the, your Savior and your Lord, you surrender, you apply that blood to the doorpost of your heart. Have you done that? Have you done that? If not, do it today. Get it settled. Be sure the blood of the Lamb has been applied to the doorpost of your heart. Once you do that, He forgives you, past, present, and future sins. He brings you into His family, the church. And He gives you a new identity and purpose. Thus, the next phrase, Jesus is the one who gives us identity and purpose. It says He has made us, plural, to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father. So, beloved, this points to our identity as the people of God. First of all, kingdom. We're a kingdom of people. We're not just individuals that relate to Jesus. We are that, but we are a kingdom. We're part of the body, the church. And we, listen, listen, I'm going to get, probably going to, I don't, just going to, might go from preaching to meddling, but... Lord, control my tongue right now because I believe I have some things I want to challenge us with as a church from this one word, kingdom. We're a kingdom of people. And a kingdom of people advance Christ's kingdom. We're not just to be pew sitters. We're not just to stay in the four walls of the church building. We are to be a kingdom people who influence the culture. Culturally engaged mean we are engaged in the culture. Jesus said to his disciples, you are salt and light. Say, so what does that mean? Well, in that day, they didn't have refrigerators. How do they keep meat from spoiling? They put salt on it. It's Christians in the culture who are to keep the meat from spoiling. If you read Eric Metaxas's book, Letter to the American Church, he makes an amazing case that because the church in Germany in the 40s was asleep at the wheel and, and said things like, oh, we're just going to preach the gospel. We're not going to get involved in politics. We're not going to get involved in cultural issues. And they sat on their duffs, thus Nazism progressed. He makes a strong case that had the church been a kingdom of people like they should, the Holocaust may have been avoided. Our culture... Our country is spoiling. And if you don't agree with that, you got your head in the sand. Morally, politically, practically. And the church, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, being angry but sinning not, is to be salt and light. When light shines into darkness, what does it do? It exposes things that the darkness doesn't want to see. And when you expose darkness, darkness usually begins to roar its ugly head. We need discernment here, guys. And we've said as a church, we stay united on the essentials, we allow diversity in the non-essentials, and we exhibit love in all things. We don't have to all agree on every political issue to stay united as a church. But there are times when there will be issues that come to our table locally, nationally, maybe internationally, where 
the elders, and I, this is where I love being a part of a plurality of elders. This is not, it's not David Holt's call. David Holt doesn't make these decisions in isolation. I come before the elders. We together say, is this something we are to take some action on? Are we to issue a statement to our mayor, for example? Are we to, to, to do something about this issue? And, and we always welcome your input. But there will be things, and it's probably going to increase. I'll just be real honest with you because of where I see our nation going, where we as leaders might have to take a stand. We might bring things to you that we believe you need to act on, pray about. The elections are coming up. This is, in my opinion, I'm 63, the most important election in the history of this nation. We're not going to tell you how to vote. We're not going to say if you don't vote this way, then you're not a good Christian. No, we will fight for our unity. Amen? We will fight for the unity of the, about the essentials, and the essentials are those things directly related to our salvation. My dad and I differ politically as night and day, but we love each other, and we're united in Jesus, but we have some very robust discussions. <laughs> and, and I love him, and he loves me, um, and he's going closer to where I am. I'm just being honest. <laughs> he's, he, he, but what, and so my point is this, we are a kingdom. It's right here in the text. We are to be a kingdom people who help advance the kingdom of God and truth and righteousness and biblical morality. We don't force that on anybody. We understand that we live in an ungodly culture and you can't expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian. But at the same time, we don't just sit back and let our freedoms get taken from us and let them do things in public schools that are repulsive to God. Parents have to take a stand. Churches have to take a stand. Pastors have to take a stand. This is part of leadership. And then he says you're a priest unto God. That's a beautiful thing. Because the priests were the only ones who could go into the Holy of Holies with the blood. We're all priests now. Praise God. It used to be just a handful of the elite. <laughs> now it's all believers. 1 Peter 2 says you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. We are a priest because we've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. We can go into the Holy of Holies boldly in prayer. Priests went in there to minister to God in praise, worship, and thanksgiving. We get to do that as believers. And they ministered for God by taking the good news and the truth to the people. We're all priests. Hello? You're a priest if you're saved. You're a priest if you're saved. You're a priest if you're saved. There's no pecking order in the body of Christ. We're all equal before God. We're all righteous in the sight of God. We're all priests that can go into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, and we minister to God and for God. You have a new identity and a new purpose. So let me tell you this. Folks, no more poor self-image. Come on. There's no more poor self-image. This idea, I'm just a loser. I never amount to anything. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're a saint who occasionally sins. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint who occasionally slips up. Big difference in how you see yourself. Well, your daddy may have told you you'll never amount to anything. Your school teacher, your coach may have said you'll never amount to anything. But listen, it's time to say, I'm going to can that and believe what God says about me. Because nothing's more true of me than what God says about me. And so it's time to put on your righteousness. Put on your identity. Say to yourself what God says about you. And I'm telling you, it'll change your life. It will change your life. You are not measured by your performance. <laughs> You're measured by what Christ did for you and who you are 
in Jesus. Fear goes because of the perfect love of God. Okay? Anxiety goes because of the perfect peace of God. Now, we have to fight for this. I'm not saying it's just an automatic thing. But bad self-image is not biblical. (laughs) If you're a saint, you don't have a bad self-image. You need to see yourself the way God does. And when you do, it'll transform you. Number 11, Jesus is worthy of all glory. It says in verse 6, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Some use dominion. Because of who he is, because of what he's done, he's worthy of all glory, worthy of honor, worthy of dominion, worthy of authority, not only in the heavens but on the earth and in our lives. He's worthy for me to live for his glory. Amen. Are you living for his glory? You're either living for your glory or his. It's for his renown. It's for his reputation. We represent him. When people look at us, they should just get a little glimmer of what Jesus is like. (laughs) Number 12, we're almost done. Jesus is coming back to earth. Verse 7, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And then this little phrase, crazy, I love God's word. Even those who pierced him. Wait a minute, those people who pierced him are dead. Their body may be dead. Spirit lives on forever. Even those who pierced him. Can you imagine being one of the Roman soldiers that pierced him as he's on the cross? That person or those people are going to see him when he returns? Yes, every eye will see him. Hallelujah. I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 12, because this was actually prophesied in the Old Testament. You say, what? Yes, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, Zechariah prophesied what we just read in Revelation. I listened to a message this week about Revelation, and this guy said, everything in Revelation is in the rest of the Bible. Everything about Jesus in Revelation is in the Old Testament. I thought that was a cool thought. This one certainly is. Start at verse 1, Zechariah 12, 1. This is the word of the Lord concerning Israel. The Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth, who forms the spirit of man within him. Who formed your spirit? God did. I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends out the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. Now go down to verse 9. On that day I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. Hamas, Beware! Folks, it it infuriates me how our news covers the Middle East right now. All they play every day is portraying Israel as this horrible nation. Do they forget what happened on the day that Hamas came in and brutally killed and murdered and raped 1,400 people? One day. Oh, they never talk about that, do they? As if that never even happened. Am I saying Israel does everything right? No. But I'm telling you, they have every right to defend themselves and to eliminate Hamas. Oh, that's not godly. That's not compassionate. Read the Old Testament. (laughs) When God told them sometimes, you go in and you take out everybody. Because if you don't, it's just going to resurrect itself. 
you got to go to the root. you got to annihilate them all. That's, if that sounds real horrible to you, I'm sorry. But when they do what they did to Israel, they have every right to go in and com- you've got to completely eliminate that regime. On that day, I'll set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me. Jesus is writing this. <laughs> they will look on me, the one they have pierced. Sound familiar? And they will mourn for him as the one mourns for an only child. And grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. He's coming back to earth. When he ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1, the, the, the disciples are looking, and the, angel, the two angels say, what are you looking at? <laughs> He's going to come back in the same way that you just saw him leave, in the clouds. By the way, I do have to, let's go to Acts 1. I, I, we may not have time for Q&A because of this, but Acts 1, Rich, you're going to love this. Um, <laughs> because they're wanting, to, they're wanting him to give them dates and times. He's leaving, and they're like, okay, this is the time. Jesus, tell us when you're going to come back. Tell us when you're going to restore things. Don't we want dates and times? I mean, so many people spend so much time in Revelation trying to figure out dates and times. Let's just see how Jesus responded to the whole desire for dates and times. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, Acts 1, 8, Acts 1, 6, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Here's his golden opportunity to give them a date or a time. Then he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates, come on, the Father has set by his own authority. Instead, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, instead of worrying about dates and times, instead of figuring out all these charts about when everything's going to happen perfectly, and there's a place for that to an extent, just do the work of evangelism. <laughs> be filled with the Spirit. Share the gospel so as many people as possible will be ready when he does come. And be ready every day because he could come like a thief in the night. I love that. Then after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid from him their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Suddenly two men dressed in, in white stood there and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? <laughs> this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Oh, beloved, he's coming back to earth. We're going to learn later in Revelation, he's coming back to judge the ungodly and reward the faithful. Coming back to establish a 1,000-year reign. Coming back to bring a new heaven and a new earth. Coming back to judge Babylon. Coming back to destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet and even Satan himself. Hallelujah. He is coming back. Hallelujah. Oh, I can't wait. Number 13, he's eternally alive. Now, this is cool because earlier it was, the, it was about the Father that it said who is, was, and is to come. Now it's about Jesus. It's Jesus himself saying it. If you've got a red-letter Bible, this is in red. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Those are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. In other words, he's eternal. He existed from eternity past. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed 2,000 years ago when God took on flesh and became a man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he will exist. He's alive now, seated at the right hand of the Father. And he lives forever and ever and ever and ever. He never has not existed. Jesus never has not existed. (laughs) How do you fully explain it? I just tried, but I'm sure I failed. 
He, he, he was, He is, and He is to come. Guys, think for a moment with me if we did not have the assurance of eternal life. Sometimes we're so used to truths that we just are accustomed to, we forget what would it be like if we didn't have an eternal God who guaranteed that we have eternal life if we're in Him. Ralph Motzinger, he'd just be dead and he's gone and that's it. No, he's with Jesus right now, absent from the body at home with the Lord. Every believer who dies goes to be with Jesus, and he will make a new heaven and a new earth where we as God's people get to dwell with him and with him and in this wonderful place forever and ever and ever and ever. Can you imagine if we didn't have that truth? Never take for granted these amazing things that God has made for us. He's eternally alive. Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. (laughs) And final truth today, Jesus is all-powerful. This last phrase, verse 8, the Almighty. One word, again, land and linger. (laughs) Land and linger on that one, folks. The Almighty. He's more powerful than temptation. He's more powerful than that struggle you're having with fear. He's more, he's more powerful than that struggle you're having with anxiety. He's more powerful than your financial worries. He's more powerful than that relational struggle. He's more powerful than your marriage struggles. He's more powerful than divorce. He's more powerful than cancer. He's more powerful than heartache. He's more powerful than sin. He's more powerful than your flesh. He's more powerful than Satan and every demon of hell. He's more powerful than sickness. He is almighty. Hallelujah. So whatever you're struggling with today, whatever is gripping you, whatever is pulling you and and causing you difficulty, put it up against this Jesus we've learned about today. He is almighty. And never forget that He loves you. And He's freed us from our sins by His blood. Let's review what we've learned today. This Jesus, this wonderful Savior, this one that we come before to worship every Sunday. We can get the review slides, please. Just a quickly, in case you missed one. He is, first of all, the one this book is about. He's the focus. There's, a, there's two slides that bring them all up, Darren. The very end. There we go. He's the focus of Revelation. He's the author of Revelation. He's the head of the church. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity. He's the perfect manifestation of Almighty God. He's the living Savior, the sovereign King of kings. He's the one who loves you. The one who sacrificed for you. And He's the one who changes our identity. Worthy of all glory. Coming back to earth eternally alive, all-powerful. Hallelujah. Let's just get quiet before Him for a moment. And I want you right now, in your heart, you make sure that He's your Savior and Lord. If there's any doubt, receive Him now. By faith, receive Him now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I trust you to forgive me of my sin. Come in and take control. I I yield to you.
you know you're born again, today's a day to just be sure that He is Lord. Surrender all to Him. Cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. If there's something that you are withholding, surrender it now. If there's sin in your life that He's showing you, hand it to Him. Surrender it. Worship team, if you'd come up now. We are now going to respond by participating in the body and blood of Christ. That's what it says in the Bible. We participate in the body and blood of Christ. Now we're going to do this different than we ever have, so please listen carefully to my instructions. Worship team will do a song, and as they're singing, you can join them or just listen you are going to come forward to get the elements and take them back to your seat. You are not going to partake up here. If you are saved, born again, and desire and seeking to be a follower of Jesus, this is open to all who are in that category. If you're not saved, you're not to partake. So you come and you receive the bread and the juice, and there's gluten-free bread if that applies to you. You take it back to your seat and you hold it there After this song, then I come back up and we partake together as one body. Got it? You come up, get the elements, take them back to your seat without partaking, and then I will instruct us to partake after this song. Father, bless this. Anoint this. Let this time be a proper response to all that we've learned today. We praise you that we get to now do something physical with a spiritual reality. The body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ shed for us. So come now and get the elements, take them back to your seat. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. And do you wish that you could see it all? Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of
Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of a blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those he loved? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? picture of our individual salvation and as we take it together it's a beautiful picture that we're a kingdom and a priest unto God we're the body of Christ we need each other I need you you need her you need him we're the body of Christ the church on the night in which Jesus was betrayed he he took the bread he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said this is my body given for you 
take and eat. After that, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the remission of sins. Drink it in worship. Lord, we pray now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to love you and serve you faithfully. That all of us would be overcomers. We thank you for this wonderful gift. We receive all of you now. And we worship you in thanksgiving. Amen. If our prayer team would make yourselves available.